Greetings and welcome to the Heart Hall Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Cordova. The Heart Hall Podcast is a show dedicated to highlighting the faculty, staff, and guests of the University of California Davis's Ethnic and Gender Sexuality Studies departments housed in Heart Hall and under the Heart Interdisciplinary Programs umbrella. In this episode, I welcome Dr. Monica Torrio Casal onto the show. Monica has been a lecturer in the UC Davis Chai Studies Department since 2016. She is also one of the co-authors of both Psychology Perspectives for the Chicanx and Latinx Family and Latinx and Chicanx Psychology, Decolonial Approaches. Both of these are with fellow Chai Studies faculty member, Professor Yvette Flores. Monica has a PhD in Counseling Psychology from Northeastern University in Boston and MAMFT Marriage and Family Therapy with Latino Mental Health Emphasis from Santa Clara University and her BA in Psychology from the University of Santiago de Compostela in Spain. Monica and I discuss her life from home over the last year, the psychological impact of that time, her international work in psychology that has morphed into working with the Latinx community, Dutch traditions, and more. Now here's my conversation with Dr. Monica Torrio Casal. Monica, how have you been over this last year and a half in this new strange Zoom teaching thing that we're currently living in? So hi, Daniel. Thank you um, for having me here today. Of course. Um, this last year has been a combination of uh, different things. Initially, it was a transition to adapt uh, uh, teaching to a new modality. And everything happened so fast that there was no time to think. Actually, it was moving forward. And um, since I live with uh, my son, my brother, my nephew, my niece, having everybody at home uh, was also a negotiation for the spaces. Um, but we managed. We uh, had um, the type of uh, coordination organization at home that facilitated that we were able to continue with our jobs and also the kids were able to, to attend the school. Um, definitely, it was a barrier to actually uh, do the type of teaching and work that I enjoy, which is uh, having more interpersonal interactions with uh, my students and colleagues. Um, and then I, I realized as a psychologist uh, that talking to a computer <laughs> felt sometimes kind of weird. So yeah, I encourage my students on a weekly basis to volunteer and have the camera on. So at least I felt like I was communicating with the, with the students and try to, to have interactions with, the, with them. So it has been a, a learning experience, um, but definitely not something that um, I was expecting uh, to happen. But we move on and we try to do the best that we can in any situation. At least that is my, my approach. And uh, you said you were like kind of balancing everything with your family. How did, how did the kids like deal with this whole thing? Cause it's, it's probably hard. Like I'm not spry like I used to be, but I think if I had more energy, I'd probably be more pent up or something. So with the kids, it was interesting because it allowed them to sleep longer. <laughs> so that was a, a plan for them. <laughs> exactly. Uh, because, you know, in the mornings, it's always um, very um, busy at home, you know, with breakfast, uh, get ready, and one is running late, and the other needs to be dropped. Uh, the good thing is that the oldest ones, they use their bikes, um, and they are more independent. So at home for them, it was like, hey, we have an extra hour. 
And then I'm not the typical mom that is uh, checking and controlling on them all the time, which probably is not the best thing when they are uh, attending a school online. But then, you know, because many times we share spaces or the internet connection was not really good. So we have to move all downstairs to the kitchen. Then somebody was eating, somebody was attending class. And then I realized that my son, for instance, was uh, on the phone at the same time that was attending school. So I had to <laughs> encourage them to pay attention um, to the classes. So um, they were able to meet the expectations, but I noticed with my um, with my niece, she started to isolate herself and to spend a lot of time in her room. So um, we had to encourage her to, you know, go for a walk um, do something else uh, than just being, being at home. So definitely there are psychological implications because the lack of interaction with the other kids, which I think is fundamental when, when you are uh, uh, attending a school and is part of their development, um, was lacking. And I think they they missed that. So when they had the option to go back to, to school in person, um, my, my son was really ready to go back. But for my niece and my nephew, who is eight, um, it was harder, and especially because the, the little one had more freedom. And also he developed different strategies to lie. No, 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 the computer is not working anymore, uh, teacher. So, you know, this type of, sorry, I'm having technical problems because they got tired of being sitting, you know, um, especially for little ones, it's, it's really hard to stay focused and, and pay attention. So they survived, but I'm glad that now they are going back to, to school and, and have a sense of normality again. Um, I think um, they adapted very well, but definitely it was, um, it, was a, it was a transition. It was hard, especially not having the same type of uh, contact with friends and activities. My son was able to continue playing soccer, and that was very helpful to get out of the house, to do some sports, and, and yeah, and continue having a, a sense of uh, connection with, uh, with other um, friends. When we were talking a bit before we started recording, I said that I've been going out on runs. That has been really helpful for my, you know, that's part of my routine anyway. The endorphins from that feel great. Uh, how have you been keeping sane outside of the work realm? So, you know what happens with me in the beginning, because uh, normally I don't have time to actually sit and spend hours writing and doing other type of activities. Uh, besides teaching or family responsibilities. So I thought, wow, this is a great opportunity to spend hours behind, behind the computer and writing. But then I realized that I was lacking the other activities that I normally do. I like to go to uh, the gym and do Zumba classes and be active. And then there was a limitation with uh, the gym was closed. So I started doing walks, but um, I'm not a runner at all. Um, I use my bike, so I was not using my bike anymore to go to work. So there was a moment that my balance was not in place in terms of uh, activities. Um, so I have to force myself to identify uh, different options, uh, like 
you know, going for, for a wall with the, the intention, okay, today I reached this point, but, but then I got bored being on my own. So the only thing that I, I do on my own without problem is swimming. So at UC Davis, it was possible to swim there. Um, so over the summer, I was doing that. And then I started doing a, a yoga class outside. Um, and, and that was very helpful. Um, to keep me sane um, because the lack of uh, physical activity um, really it has, as you said, you know, our endorphins, uh, our mood, it gets really impacted. So um, I try to continue having a, a level of activity um, still missing the bike component, um, but adapting. You know, now uh, with uh, the options of being able to go to more places um, with the kids, we also went for hikes or to the ocean here and there. Um, but when it comes to uh, a type of routine integrated in, in my life, I really have to go back into being more, more mindful of uh, uh, paying more attention to um, being more active. So. I'm happy that now, and especially here in California compared to other places, we have different options and things to do. Because, for instance, back in my country, in Spain, uh, people have to stay at home for 40 days. I mean, they couldn't go outside. Um, the quarantine was very strict in, in many countries in, in Europe. So I'm happy that here, and especially in Davis, we had different options. We go go outside and go to the park um, with the kids, you know, activities outside. Um, even if it's just going to, to play with the ball around the corner, but at least it forces you to get out of the house. Because it was very easy to get into these in-home activities and, uh, and and then with the paranoia if you get the sick so for a period of time we were not going to do the groceries we did it online but I think through the pandemic we were making adjustments to also keep our mental balance because listening to the news in Europe listening to the news here uh, I don't know it was ending the Trump administration you know it was like a combination of things that uh, <laughs> felt like, okay, I need to go outside and breathe. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. Big agree. Um, we, we're doing this uh, chat now because you're about to leave for Spain again. Uh, you said, what was growing up in Spain like for you? Like, what was your upbringing like? Well, <laughs> so as a Spaniard, I think it's, it was a very normal upbringing compared to other Spaniards. Um, I think coming from, from Spain defines not only the accent that I have, but also and different views about the life uh, values that I have um, and how I try to instill those in, in, my, in my family, the kids. Um, I think we have uh, um, a lot of strong val values about family in Spain. So for me being at home with my family, it was not so dramatic as for other people. Um, because we share the spaces, we do a lot of things together, uh, things that I consider normal when I when I lived in Spain, but then, you know, moving to the Netherlands first, when, when I, I left Spain and then coming to the United States, I realized those uh, cultural differences. Um, but I think um, I have been able to adapt um, those here with my family and the lifestyle in the United States 
Um, and I'm very happy that California reminds me a lot of uh, Spain. The weather, uh, people being more outgoing. Um, so I really feel home here. But definitely my political views, my um, understanding of a lot of things has been influenced by growing up in, in Spain, um, and in particularly in my family. Um, I find a lot of um, things here that I enjoy and value, and I'm very thankful for that. Because when I lived in Boston, for instance, on the East Coast, um, I felt more disconnected from the environment, the weather, uh, the way of living. Um, so definitely um, this feels, um, feels like home. Could part of that be, I've never lived in Boston, but uh, I grew up in this general area that we're in, a lot in Woodland. Uh, could you have found comfort in the, what I'm assuming is a higher number of Spanish speakers? Well, definitely the Mexican influence and culture around here. And also it's very different when you see names that you can actually pronounce here in California, that when you go to Boston and they have names that not even English speakers can uh, pronounce properly because it's the Bostonian style of uh, pronouncing things. So that makes a, makes a big difference, uh, definitely. It's called New England for a reason. Mm -hmm. um, California uh, has historical roots that they are uh, connected uh, um, with my background. And I feel very close to uh, the Mexican identity. Uh, as ident I identify as uh, Latina. So I go and do my groceries in, in Woodland at the, um, maybe I cannot use the, the name because it's publicity, but I go to Mercados Mexicanos to, to actually do uh, my groceries because there I find a lot of products that uh, um, are part of the ingredients that I use for, for my cooking. So definitely that makes uh, a huge difference in terms of uh, feeling uh, home. Um, when I lived in the Bay Area, it was the same thing. I felt like, uh, you know, going to La Panaderia, La Carniceria, all these places is like, uh, yeah, it creates a sense of community. And, and, and I felt really um, accepted and welcomed by the um, Latinx community here in the United States. So um, that, that is a, a huge difference. That's why I don't miss the East Coast, you know, at all. Um, there are very good and positive things about uh, living uh, on the East Coast. Um, one is that you are closer to Europe. <laughs> but um, I don't miss the weather. And, and I think it's a wonderful experience, uh, you know, uh, living in a country uh, as United States, to have the opportunity to get exposed to different uh, locations and um, places that offer different opportunities and interactions with uh, different people. I think it's, it's a very positive learning experience, but in terms of deciding a good place uh, to live with your family um, and to feel home, I think, um, yeah, connecting with uh, some of uh, your core values and, and what you appreciate in life, um, I think is, is very important. Uh, where did your interest in psychology first start? Because I know you you worked in the Netherlands as a psychologist. I, I've reading over your CV, I kept seeing psychology and psychology related fields coming up a lot. How did how did that first start for you? So it's interesting because the the 
the university system in Europe is different than in the United States. So once you attend university, you really need to know what you are going to, to study. So um, the thing was that uh, psychology was uh, um, what I decided to, to study. Um, and from there, uh, I think the type of activities that I did um, when I was studying psychology, like um, volunteering uh, in the jail system in Spain, um, really helped me to see the, the importance and the application of uh, um, psychology. Um, and then when I moved to the Netherlands, um, I realized that first of all, I had to learn a new language. Uh, my English was very basic. So I started doing all different types of jobs uh, from blue color, I think they call it here or whatever. <laughs> Maybe it's not blue, you know, but, you know, working in restaurants, working in factories. So maybe it's blue and I don't know the different colors that they use. But anyway, and there when I was able to learn the language, I had the opportunity to actually work in the field of uh, uh, psychology on chemical dependency, actually. And, uh, and yes, doing therapy in that uh, is different than doing it in your own language or uh, even in English. And the, the ways of communicating in different languages um, is definitely shaped by the culture and how direct or indirect people are. So the Dutch language is, uh, and people in general, very direct, so uh, upfront. So it was a, an adjustment in the way of, uh, basically I was trained to do therapy in the Netherlands. So um, in Spain, yes, I got my degree. I did some volunteer experiences, but actually in the Netherlands is where I had my first uh, uh, formal uh, training as a psychologist in chemical dependency. So that was a, um, a journey. Moving to United States, um, my title uh, to practice as, as a psychologist was not recognized here in, in, in United States, but initially we came to United States for a couple of years. So this is the, the story of many immigrants. You move thinking, okay, in a couple of years we will be back, and, and that was not the case. So um, I knew that I wanted to continue working in the field of psychology, uh, United States, the Bay Area, um, offer the, the opportunity to attend uh, a, a program at Santa Clara University with a, a Latinx mental health emphasis, a multicultural approach. I was working with very diverse populations in, in the Netherlands. Um, the Netherlands is a very diverse uh, country. So um, my interest in that area um, continue developing. I thought uh, that was a great opportunity to actually go back to Europe with uh, a degree that was uh, training me in that particular area in, in psychology. But of course, um, things sometimes in life do not happen as predicted. So we stay longer here in the United States. And um, after my master's, I I applied for a PhD in, in counseling psychology on the East Coast in, in Boston. And at that time, I was already a mom, so it was going back to school um, under different circumstances. But I always had a connection with uh, the field of psychology because uh, I was always very interested in seeing transformations in, in our society. So for me, psychology is a tool for uh, those social transformations. Um, 
with you know a strong foundation for uh, social justice and i think the united states offers a lot of work to do in this area so i did a lot of different clinical work uh, with different populations here and i learned a lot um i think i grew up uh, as a professional um but also as a human being so i I'm, i'm very thankful to you know to have had the opportunity to be exposed to all this uh, diversity in, in this country. And also the challenges, you know, of uh, uh, doing things that maybe you feel like, okay, I don't know if I qualify for this. Um, and then, you know, gaining a lot of skills through the work that you do with, uh, with people and, and, and wonderful people that I had the opportunity to, to interact and work with and, and be a mentee and yeah, all these interactions and, and professional experiences um, have been very, very positive. Of course, not all of them, <laughs> but here we are only talking about the positive things. <laughs> sure. Um, I want to come back to the Netherlands a little bit. Uh, so you went there not knowing Dutch. Did you learn Dutch on the job, like in the, the blue collar jobs, or did you learn it while you were a psychologist? So, and well, in, in Europe, um, immigrants normally have uh, the possibility of t- attend uh, free classes of the language of the country of reception. So, for instance, uh, the Dutch government makes an evaluation of your degree, makes an e- evaluation of uh, your ability to speak other languages. So, um, um, they placed me in, in a class with people from all around the world. It was fascinating. And then we had to take that class for a year. So after that, you take a, a national exam and I passed that exam. So when I was doing different type of jobs um, and, you know, in restaurants, you, of course, understand things here and there, but I was communicating in English. One of the things about the Dutch people is that they speak at least four different languages. So um, language is something that uh, is part of their educational system. So the Dutch are very famous for being multilingual. So I spoke in English with many of the people. And then uh, when uh, I got into the job as as a counselor, in the field of uh, psychology, the company that I work for uh, was part of the government pay for more specialized classes. So I was able to access um, higher level of that, to be able to work um, as a psychologist using the terminology, being able to write reports and stuff like that. So definitely uh, the government makes a difference in, in helping immigrants to to adapt because even in that classes they teach you dutch culture so you are able to understand why when you go to a dutch house they offer you a cup of coffee and a cookie so or a biscuit or so it's one it's only one (laughs) so this type of things i thought it was very 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 funny because in spain especially in my region they offer you a lot of food it's not only one they eat as much as you can so i think those um um, and differences and these cultural differences that they are addressed really help immigrants to to understand more about the the culture. Of course, I come from a Southern European country. Going to Northern Europe is not such a big transition like for other people that might come from countries um, um, with different geographical. Uh, but I think it's very helpful for all of us because. Um, 
I think you realize about how different and similar you are to other people, depending on the context. When I came to the United States, I, I felt very different from the, the, the American way of living. Uh, but when I was in Europe, I was not thinking, oh, American versus Europe. No, it was more like Southern Europe versus Northern Europe. So it's, it's fascinating um, how we uh, uh, how we see at the difference between the countries and what is normal, not normal. Uh, definitely the social life in the Netherlands is very different than in Spain. I think in Spain we are more spontaneous. And it doesn't mean that it's a good thing that, you know, you go to somebody's house and say, hey, how are you? I'm coming to visit you. This is something that you don't do in the Netherlands. You call, you make an appointment, and you have uh, uh, the whole protocol in place. So I, I realized that when I was going back to Spain on vacation or visiting my parents, I had that mentality already in place. Okay, I need to organize this. I need to plan for that. So I need to provide one cookie upon my visits. Exactly, one cookie. <laughs> never. That is something that I have never changed. Um, it's not a joke. I mean, they actually teach you this about it. Oh, I'm the... I'm fascinated by this cookie for some reason. Like I I'm absolutely listening, <laughs> but a part of me is like, what happens if you ask for a second cookie? Is it like super rude? Is it not even an option? Yes. It's, uh, oh, okay. It's not polite. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Of course, there are differences between uh, families. But it's not expected. And I don't know if this is more influenced from the, the Protestant mentality, because the Netherlands is divided uh, traditionally with Protestants and, uh, and uh, Catholics. So the southern part of the Netherlands is more outgoing. They celebrate uh, things that the, the, the other uh, Protestant part do not celebrate. So I don't know if it's, um, this type of difference is also conditioned by that. But definitely, there are a lot of different things uh, that they teach you that you are like, no, you must be kidding. But then it happens. You actually go and you see that. Um, like birthday parties and how they celebrate this. Then in, the, in Spain, we kiss each other when we say hello, especially with friends or if they introduce someone. In the Netherlands, you don't kiss anyone unless it's the birthday party. And it can be a relative. So everybody's kissing you because your relative is <laughs> So it's, it's very surprising that for certain situations, uh, there is um, a way of behaving that is expected, but not in other uh, circumstances. So when I came to the Netherlands, I was just kissing everyone. Hi, yeah, how? But then they just stopped me and they say, no, we don't kiss <laughs> It was, I felt like, oh, wow. I hope I, not, I don't get in trouble because... Uh, they think, what is wrong with this uh, person? So, um, yeah, it's, it's very interesting to, to learn. The same thing when I came to to United States, there were certain things that uh, I, I thought um, they were expected or not expected. Even between the East and the West, West Coast, um, people here in California, they are more um, open to start a conversation, and they are more laid back. So yes, you see those differences uh, when you move to the East Coast and then you see that people are in a hurry and, and especially in Boston that are famous for being uh, pretty direct. <laughs> so um, it's also a, a, a cultural shock, uh, even between the same country, just going to, to a different state. So between countries, definitely language and uh, traditions and and the historical component as well, um, and the relationship between uh, different countries. So 
Um, it was uh, it was funny at times to talk about these things, uh, but it's also a, a learning experience when you have the opportunity to exchange with other people um, what they think is normal or not. In the Netherlands, they found weird my way of eating sometimes or my combinations of food and 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 you know it's I think it's a great opportunity to talk. Why do you think this is not normal? Why do you think this is weird? So. And I think we all learn from each other and inform each other when we have a, an open mentality to have these type of uh, conversations. Um, because in the end, we are also defining our own culture and what makes more sense uh, uh, for us. And, and definitely there are a lot of good things in every culture, in every country, in every tradition. Um, and being exposed to that, I think is a, is a wonderful experience. Uh, on the on the note of culture, I, I looking over CV, a lot of your psychology work is also uh, related to the Latinx and Chicanx um, experience. What was the aha moment you had when you realized that you could combine, like on paper, these seem like they wouldn't be um, connected fields, but you were able to mesh these together in a very interesting way that seems really helpful to, you know, a, a group of people. So you mean the connection between the uh, the cultural aspect and, and psychology. Yes, because you know you're currently working in the Chicanx uh, studies program at UC Davis. You have a psycho psychological background, but a lot of your jobs have already had those connected with each other. And how did that first come to be? So I think this this is a more than an aha moment, uh, a transformative uh, uh, process. Um, I never thought, oh, I will end up working in this particular location and then I will uh, um, inform my work by this uh, um, academic background. I think it's a question of uh, what I felt passionate and, uh, and the type of uh, placements and locations that helped me to, to understand more about the, those connections. Traditionally in psychology, our trainings tend to be less multicultural. Um, there is a lack of uh, um, intersections um, uh, between models or uh, even, you know, the mainstream uh, psychology many times neglects to integrate this uh, cultural aspect uh, for multiple reasons. Um, but I think, um, you know, the work for instance, uh, of Professora Flores that created some of the classes that most of the classes actually that I, I teach at the child department have that connection intersection. So for me, it felt very natural to be teaching these classes because it's exactly what I was doing um, in my clinical work. Um, and it's also my uh, way of thinking about the psychology. And I think that the, the Chai department and the philosophy and the history with this um, connection with communities um, really makes sense as a, as a placement to, to the work that I'm doing right now. Uh, on top, the students that um, we serve, I use the word serve or teach or work with, um, because I consider that my work is also a service to the community, not only the students that they're attending uh, our classes in our department, but the sense of uh, that we create uh, as a family and also knowing that there are communities behind and communities that uh, they have hope because they have students uh, attending uh, a university setting, people that they are going back to their communities and make those uh, changes and, and transformation. So there is a lot of... Uh, 
hope in the work that I do, not now from a clinical perspective, but uh, from a, um, a teaching uh, perspective. And, um, and, and psychology needs to continue being informed by the people that we serve. Um, and I think uh, having uh, venues to connect those communities with academia, having uh, classes that they are related to their own experiences, also listening about their uh, expertise, because uh, as individuals, we are experts in our own realities, in our own communities. So I think uh, the, the work that I do is also very dynamic. I learn a lot from my students, I feel very comfortable being in, in a place as the child department that has uh, all these um, founders uh, of uh, a movement, but also um, that practice a philosophy um, that is connected with the, the reality of the, the students that uh, attend our classes. So I think it's a, it's a perfect environment to to do the things that I enjoy doing uh, and to be myself and to feel accepted for who I am, you know, in my multiplicity of uh, identities. And, and, and you know, I, I think here in the United States, there is a lot of pressure for identifying who you are, what you are, uh, using different labels and this and that. Um, and, and, and I know my positionality, my privilege, uh, a lot of things um, also... Um, make me relate to others in, in a particular way and how people might perceive me or not. But you know, in all my experiences through life, I think there is an upcoming element, which is um, being open to be flexible, to learn, to, to utilize whatever tools I have in my hands to, to help those around me and, um, and to continue growing and learning um, from others. So I think um, it's an existential attitude, but it's also something that I do in practice. I, I try to be coherent in my life and my professional life, being the same person, not like, okay, <laughs> at work I am this, and then mm. at home, yes, of course, I have different um, aspects of uh, who I am that might be more manifest uh, with my children or whatever, but I think, it's a sense of being respectful to others, um, trying to do the best that I can to contribute to, in this case, the society where I live uh, right now. Um, when I lived in the Netherlands, the needs were different. Uh, my positionality there was different as well. So um, that informed a lot of what I did and what I wanted to do. Um, and that had a continuity here. I think I'm not the same person here and now, because in the past, there were other things that helped me to, to grow um, and have a, a different vision and views about living in a global work, um, work world, sorry. Um, so I think that is my, my, my approach um, in whatever I do. And you mentioned along that, um, that uh, your work with uh, Professor Flores, um, you worked together on a book called Psychological Perspectives on Chicanx and Latinx Families. How did that collaboration first come together and how did you two begin working together in general? I'm assuming through Davis, but maybe my timeline is wrong. Well, my collaboration with um, Professora Flores um, was built through the years and uh, having the luxury of uh, teaching the classes that she created um, helped me to understand more um, about her thinking. So a lot of the things that I do um, 
really align with uh, her thinking. It's like when you find that mentor, that person and say, this is exactly the type of psychology that I'm for. Um, so I feel very lucky that I have that uh, connection. And then the invitation of being part of this collaboration for this uh, work came from Professora Flores. Um, and it was very easy to work with, uh, with her. I think because the mentality is there and, um, and also because um, intellectually she is the type of uh, person that is, you know, updated with everything that is happening. It's very dynamic. So it really helps uh, the work and the, and the collaboration to have that synergy, that uh, connection. Um, and also being a clinician as Professor uh, Flores, um, she's really aware of uh, the needs of our communities. Um, and again, whatever we do um, from an academic perspective is always connected with the, with the communities. It's not in the vacuum and just, uh, um, you know, theorizing and creating uh, new ways of be without connecting with, uh, with the action and, and the real needs. So it's, it's a lot of work um, when you write, and especially when English is not your first language, and then you realize, oh, why is it taking so long to write this? Oh, oh, why this word is not coming fluently? But writing is, is a process. Even then, uh, for every writer, uh, there is um, a lot of discipline in place. And many times there are many other things that uh, you wanted to take care of first um, than maybe focusing on, on writing. So that's why it was so exciting in the beginning. Oh, yes, with the pandemic, now I can sit for hours and write and write and write. And yes, it helped to move with uh, that type of uh, work. So I think it's important to have materials, books that students can relate to and connect with. We use a lot of... Uh, real case examples. We do a lot of uh, self-reflection about our own journeys. Um, and that creates a venue for students to relate to the materials that they are studying. Because many times uh, uh, in academia, we take classes, at least that was my experience as well, that I like, you know, this is not really connected with anything that I consider important. Of course, you need to, to pass the class. So, but definitely that critical thinking about the academic settings is taking place. And I think we wanted to create something that uh, offers opportunities for students to develop that critical thinking, to gain those skills that they are going to be helpful uh, when they work in the real world. Um, and we have already a lot of students that um, they have a lot of knowledge about what is needed. So in our classes, I think we try to incorporate that knowledge as well as a way of uh, having conversations about uh, um, different ways of doing things and things that actually work. Um, so um, it has been a um, um, very positive uh, experience to be able to do this type of uh, uh, scholar work and, and definitely uh, as a mentee, um, uh, a wonderful opportunity. I mean, it's, it's, it's luxury in the field of psychology to be able to have uh, uh, Professor Flores as a, as a mentor. Um, and, and I mean it, I mean, it comes from my heart. It's not like, oh yes, it looks good to say. No, it's honesty, it's, uh, it's um, 
very, very special. Very, very special. And we can kind of winding down our, our podcast chat here. Uh, what are you working on now? Like, uh, what is what are you thinking about? What papers are you writing? Like, what would you, is there anything else that you'd like to cover before we call this a day? So, you know, um, a strong component of my position as a lecturer is to teach. I teach six different classes. So that is the main priority to uh, update the classes. Now we have the transition to um in-person classes, um, so um, updated with new things that have been published and creating new activities. So that is, is very, very important. Um, but now, currently, I'm working on a second book with the Professor Flores, and this second book is going to be an online book. It's about the Latinx uh, psychology, uh, a decolonial approach is the, the title. So we are almost, well, almost at least writing the chapters. Uh, it's a process because then the editing, but this has been a very creative type of work because uh, this platform allows you to integrate a lot of different activities and pictures and videos. So the students will have access to a book that um, is also a platform to uh, integrate other type of um, media. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's um, a dynamic type of work and it's very fun to be able to integrate all these elements. Uh, and this is what I have been working on. Uh, recently, one of uh, the papers that uh, we wrote in combination with uh, um, a grad student and undergrad students, because in whatever I do, I like to have uh, um, students involved. So this paper was accepted, but we had to do the review. So I'm in the process of doing the, the second uh, editing. So yeah, those type of things keep me busy, uh, but I see some movement uh, in the things that I'm doing. Um, but definitely um, my emphasis, the priority are the classes. Um, my appointment is for teaching. But I have also the, the, the opportunity to do research, to do outreaches. I do a lot of work with the Mexican consulate in Sacramento, and, uh, and that collaboration continues uh, with a program that uh, we developed uh, to train people in the community. Um, so last summer, I was doing a lot of um, online um, series, workshops on mental health, um, and also collaborating with the Mexican consulate through the through the year, and I have then as guest speakers in my classes. So again, I need to be in connection with uh, a lot of different things, um, and but without you know um, obsessing with something in particular. It's like things happen because they have to happen, and uh, and, and move on and. And, and feel like whatever you do uh, is meaningful to you. So I think that has been my, my approach and I'm very thankful to be able to have all of that in, in my current position. Um, and, and I'm really excited about uh, reconnecting with the students and actually see them in person and see colleagues. Um, I think it's also very important um, to have that interaction as well. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, this has been a joy. And once we're able to 
you know, see each other IRL. It'd be great to see you around the around the building again. Definitely, Daniel. You know that I like to also visit you in person. Of course. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, why should I send an email to someone that is around? So um, definitely I, I will visit you. Um, it has been a pleasure to work with you, Daniel. And, and again, I'm very thankful for giving me this opportunity to, to talk. Of course. And we'll exchange albums when the time comes. I'll send you a list or something. <laughs> Box Production.